Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, these are God's words. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So far, the reading of God's word. We've had several blessed weeks at the beginning of Romans chapter 5, considering the experience, the condition, or status. Uh, the status of believers is that we are right, righteous uh, before God, have been declared righteous by God only for the righteousness and sacrifice of Christ. The condition of believers, having been justified by faith, uh, we have heard is one of peace, uh, one of servitude, uh, and then uh, last midweek, uh, one of strength and joy and hope, uh, which is to say uh, an absolutely certain gladness already uh, of something that is not yet, uh, which is the glory of God, that we have been brought into a condition in which we are strengthened by Christ's strength. We stand uh, in the evil day, knowing that there is a day coming in which there will be no evil. Uh, and the strength by which we stand is the strength of the Lord. Uh, and we have the Lord's own joy uh, being weaned off of uh, the, uh, the light and momentary pleasures uh, that we might have joy in that which is eternal and weighty, delight in God himself, delight in his glory, delight in the knowledge of him. And it is this certainty that uh, we will have that which we have come to begin enjoying, uh, rejoicing in the glory of God and the hope of the glory of God. Uh, we will have it perfectly. And we will desire God's glory perfectly when we have the full experience uh, of his glory. Uh, and so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, remember last week, those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's absolutely certain that we will be made entirely like Christ, that we will, as respects Jesus' human nature, desire and enjoy God the way Jesus does, the way Jesus' enjoyment of God has been counted for us, uh, and we will have been conformed to him. Uh, and so where the apostle goes next by the Spirit in the passage before us this evening uh, are the means by which or the path by which God brings us into this Jesus-like enjoyment of himself. Um, what is the path by which Christ is infallibly bringing the believer into his own enjoyment of God's glory? What's it like to be a Christian between the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're justified and the moment you are 
finally fully conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're glorified. What goes in the middle? Well, you may have heard, and I certainly heard uh, growing up, that what goes in the middle is um, a very nice, easy life. That if you believe in Jesus and you uh, obey God, uh, you are going to be, you're going to have everybody like you and uh, you're going to manage your money well and you're going to be successful. But that is not the path by which he brings us to glory. Jesus is leading many sons to glory And there's only one path, and it's the path that the Lord Jesus took. Uh, You remember what the Apostle Paul says, that he wants to be conformed to Christ's death, if by any means he may attain to his resurrection. Uh, The only path to uh, being like Christ and being with Christ is the path that Christ takes. It's a path of suffering. Uh, We will inherit together with him, and we will be glorified together with him, says chapter 8, if we suffer with him first. And here, he begins the passage, uh, our portion tonight at least, saying, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. A Christian's life is full of trouble. It's full of pain. It's full of difficult things that we cannot do. It's full of persecutions if you're godly. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted, says the scripture. It's not optional. It's not not something that happens to some godly. And so we will have tribulation, but the way he says it is not uh, is not merely that we will have tribulation, but that we glory in tribulation. It's the same word as rejoice in verse 2. I'm not sure why they're translated differently in the two places. Uh, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and glory in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. It's a word that uh, means to be full to bursting over something. Uh, Full to bursting with joy over something. It's a word that when you talk about yourself, using this word. It's the opposite of Christianity. Someone who is full of himself. We even have that way of talking, don't we? Uh, But here, what we are full of, or what we are full to bursting with joy over, is our troubles. Why? Do Christians like pain? Or should Christians like pain? No. No. He tells us why. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance. 
You see, we're glorying in the fact that God is making us like Christ. Christ grew. Christ grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. And he also had to grow in endurance, neither physically nor mentally, emotionally. Was he, did he have the endurance as a baby or as a toddler? As he did when he was an older boy and a man. We know that he grew, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. And we know that he endured the cross. And he endured the cross, counting the shame not worth considering. He despised the shame, considered it small by comparison to the joy that was set before him. And so he rejoiced in the hope of leading us in praise of God. So Christ himself grew in endurance, and so we must grow grow in endurance. Perhaps you have, uh, you remember Hebrews 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him, etc. But you might not remember that it comes immediately after Hebrews 12, verse 1, talking about how we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and run with what? Run with endurance, the race set before us. Now here's the unpleasant thing about endurance. You cannot get it without pain. And you cannot get it without prolonged pain. Those of you who like to do distance running, and there are some of you with that... Um, uh, who enjoy that, or at least enjoy what comes from it, probably enjoy it itself, here, you cannot increase endurance without being pushed. And you push a little harder and a little further every time, but it takes pain and prolonged pain to produce endurance. And yet if endurance is something that is part of being Christ-like, and if endurance is part of finishing your race in this life, then you must have the pain. You must have the trouble. And so this may sound obvious, but God grows us in endurance by giving us things to endure. He goes on to tell us in Hebrews chapter 12 when he's speaking on, on the subject that this is God loving us. He chastens and scourges the son that he loves. This is, after all, how the Lord treated Jacob, isn't it? We're going to chapter 9 of this letter here. Uh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What were Jacob and Esau's lives like? Esau was successful at everything. He was a king of many clans before he died. What was Jacob's life like? Do you remember in Genesis? It was one misery and hardship after another. In fact, one of the most difficult moments was 
when Esau with his 400 men was on his way to see Jacob. And you remember Jacob uh, coming up with his plan about how he's going to divide his family and he cries out to God. And Do you remember how God responded? He kept him up all night, took away his sleep, wrestling him, took away his strength, his energy, and then at the end of the night, crippled him in response to and as part of blessing him. Yet it was Jacob that God loved and Esau that God hated. And right there in Hebrews chapter 12, as the, uh, the Spirit is opening up for us, how God makes us to run endurance, how he produces in us holiness so that we will get to see God and love seeing God when we do see God. What does he say? He says, be careful that you don't think like Esau. Be careful that you not value, overvalue uh, painless moments and pleasant moments and end up trading an eternal weight of glory for light and momentary pleasures. When the way, the path to eternal weight of glory, the eternal weight of glory, is light and momentary afflictions, which are only light and momentary compared to the eternal and weightiness of the glory. And so we glory in our tribulations, just like 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, to which we've referred uh, much recently. Uh, we glory in weakness, because when we are weak, then we are strong. And we glory in troubles and tribulation because God is giving us endurance and endurance is necessary. And so you can think about that the next time uh, you are in a moment that is painful and it becomes not just a moment but a little bit longer and you want to cry out, how long? God is giving you an opportunity to grow in endurance. And so we glory in God's giving us endurance. Uh, but tribulation doesn't just produce perseverance or endurance. Uh, perseverance also produces, uh, tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, which is to say proven character. As you endure a little bit more and a little bit more, you know, whether you're a distance runner or a distance swimmer, or, uh, whatever it is that you're learning to uh, endure in uh, as you find yourself able to bear uh, a little bit more and, and uh, go a little bit further uh, you realize that you are not quite where you were before there's been a difference in this uh, in this case what you're rejoicing over is a proven character that whatever difference there is in you as far as the production of uh, this endurance, this um, willingness to go through the pain and consider it small by comparison to the glory of Christ that is set in front of you. Now, you may not have much of it, but whatever you have, it did not come from you. It didn't come from your flesh. 
the desire that you have to value God above all else, the desire that you have to be rid of your sin, whatever endurance you have in that direction, it came from him. And so proven character here uh, is in part focusing on the provenness of the character that uh, we have a sample of something. Um, we have evidence of something. We'll come uh, back to that in a moment. But it's also the nature of the character. What kind of character is it? It is Christ's character that is being proven, that is being demonstrated in you. And so as we grow as believers, uh, we might make the mistake uh, in thinking about this that uh, what we are glorying over in the tribulation is how much we've grown. Um, uh, if we do that, uh, we will be bent toward pride because there's much more left to grow. Whatever place you are in your life, uh, in your walk, in your sanctification, uh, there's much more left uh, to grow. Um, but when it describes proven character here as something that makes us glory in our tribulations, it's not so much because of how much we've grown, so much as who it is who is doing the growing. That the reason we are not what we were is not because we're so close now to being what we ought to be or so close now to being what we will be, but because the one who is determined to make us like himself has produced whatever difference there is in us now. And so perseverance proves out that Christ is working in us. What that means has happened to us is that we've been resurrected already. We've had the first resurrection where you come to life in the Lord Jesus and you're no longer dead. Uh, my wife uh, snapped a, a photo a week ago or so, maybe a little bit more or less. Uh, it was just not very many days after uh, it had frozen so hard uh, and a couple of, uh, couple of warm days and up came daffodil stems in the flower bed. Dead flowers don't grow. And so it was a proof of life. Well, when a believer grows in endurance, there's proof of life. And a life that didn't come from us, a life that came from him. What that means... Uh, is that something has happened to us. I have a son who is um, uh, working on uh, perfect verbs uh, in, uh, in his grammar right now, and so there's a past perfect. It has happened to us. We've been regenerated. Uh, if you're growing in endurance, then you see something that is a present participle. It is happening to us. But as we saw last week, in considering Romans 8, and those whom he justified, he also glorified, there's also the future perfect, isn't there? And that's where perfect actually becomes perfect. 
what will have happened to us. You see, what has happened to you if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, is you have been made alive. What is happening to to us is that we are being made holy. And part of that is we are being given endurance. And what will have happened to us is that we will have been made perfect in holiness. We will have been fully conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what growth you see, uh, you can go the other way, can't you? If you're thinking about how much you've grown, you, uh, we said a moment ago that uh, that may tend towards pride. It may also tend towards humiliating discouragement if you're honest about how much you've grown by comparison to how much there is to grow. And yet, uh, we ought not despise the day of small things if those small things are things that come in a grace that will have been perfected. And so proven character, and that leads us, of course, into hope. Um, We glory in our tribulation, because tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And in this case, uh, the hope is not uh, necessarily more anticipation uh, of the glory of God, uh, the rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God that we saw in verse 2. It is actually the beginning of the appearance of the thing hoped for. As we have this uh, proven character that comes out of our endurance, as we start to glimpse more Christ-likeness in ourselves, we are glimpsing something that actually belongs to the hoped-for thing. However sanctified you are, though it be small, it is part of the holiness that you will still have in the last day. The work that the Lord is doing in you now, Christian, is real work. And it is a small part of that holiness that you will have in the day that you are glorified with the Lord Jesus. And so we're not just anticipating what he will have perfectly done. We actually have some of it already. We actually have some love for the Lord, some delight in him some obedience of him. It is, as it were, an an earnest, a a down payment of heaven as you grow in grace. Now, you don't look at it and uh, and see the the holiness of an angel or the holiness uh, of the God-man. Not in fullness, not in perfection you do have some of it. You have a piece of it. It's like a child who knows that he's going to have a great inheritance. He's inheriting uh, Smog's treasure trove. He's been given a coin of it. And he can carry that coin around. And he knows this is a real part of the treasure. 
All that wealth is as good as his. And that's the way the, the hope is working out here. Now, will, will we come into the rest of the treasure? That's the question. The answer is, of course. The hope that we have, verse 5, is hope that does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, when we, uh, when we glory in tribulation because it produces perseverance, it produces character, that produces hope, uh, and we're seeing that hope as a sample, a piece of the hoped-for thing, uh, it reminds us where it came from. The reason you and I have faith in Christ at all if you have faith in Christ, the reason believers have any endurance at all, any delight in God uh, at all, is because God from all eternity decided that it would please him to give that to us. He is the one who seeks. And what this is saying here is that uh, hope does not disappoint because the source of it has been revealed to us. There are three gifts here. Uh, one, uh, the gift of God's electing love from before the world began. The second, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead. One who, uh, the, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who is, uh, as it were for us, Witness to the eternal electing love of God because he is God. He has been given to us. And what does he do? He gives us in the third place then to know the love of God. And the, the word here is uh, quite literally effusive. It's gushing. Uh, the word pouring here describes uh, an indiscriminate uh, just pouring out on onto a surface. That's why they use the word poured in the translation. Uh, the difference is it's inexhaustible. It's a word that is used for um, the, uh, the gushing out of wine, of the burst wineskin. Or... Um, uh, well, we won't. Well, no, no we must. Or the uh, uh, the gushing out of uh, entrails, intestines at one point in the scripture just uh, is intended to be very graphic and the bursting forth, the unrestrained bursting forth. The Holy Spirit, when he comes and he shows us the love of God, he, he is not stingy with it. He makes us to know that God has loved us with an electing, adopting love from before the world began, that the love of God is what has determined to create, has determined to redeem. And he's about to talk about the greatest demonstration of that love in verse 8. 
that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so, uh, the reason you are different than you were, you are not what you were if you're a believer, goes back into eternity, goes back into God himself. And it is God who has come and uh, made that knowledge to burst over and cover every part of your heart. Perhaps the old translation shed abroad. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Uh, might help us there. This is uh, of knowledge of God's love that invades every thought of the believer. Uh, That everything uh, we think about needs to be informed by and the Holy Spirit makes us to know it in the context of uh, God making us to know his own love. When we learn to rejoice over God himself or to desire that we would rejoice over God himself more than anything else, then when he brings us into tribulation, we don't say, well, God will work even this out for good. We say this tribulation is good for the sake of what God is working through it. I don't know if you've ever um, tried to have an all things for good uh, conversation with someone who doesn't value God and enjoying him and his glory uh, over all things. Uh, And so when they say all things for good, they mean, well, maybe God made me late so that I wouldn't get into a car accident. Well, sometimes when God is working all things for good for a believer, he makes sure that the believer is right on time for the car accident. Because the car accident is a means by which the Lord gives him endurance. And as he suffers with his injuries, he realizes that God is worth more to him than having a whole body and not having pain. And he realizes that that valuing of God didn't come from him. It came from Christ. And then he realizes that the reason that he has this from Christ is that God is determined, has been determined in himself, from himself, to love him since before the world began. And the Lord gave it to him by means of the car accident. The car wreck. The southern word is more providentially correct. It's not an accident. And so when we talk about all things for good, we mean all things have been designed to bring us 
to enjoy the glory of God. That's the good in Romans 8.28. It doesn't mean slightly improved earthly circumstances for a little while. It means those whom he justified, he also glorified because he had foreknown them. So if we are believers in Jesus Christ and if we have been taught by the Holy Spirit to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, let us seek that the Holy Spirit would teach us also to glory in our tribulations to see our Father giving us endurance as part of that holiness that we will need if we will see him and if we will enjoy seeing him.